0: So much of what people try to get back to with a psychologist psychiatrist is like hey what's that original thing that happened to me if i could just understand why it happened how it happened i think i can like manage it but the reality is so much of that is ingrained in the dna and the regulation of the nervous system and stuff like this that it's like that really isn't it it's what it always is when i see people get a handle on things it's they increase their awareness
1: Welcome to the Personal Development Without the Fluff podcast brought to you by Satori Prime. Look, if you believe that there's gotta be more to life or you find yourself zagging when others are zigging, this podcast is most likely for you. We're not here to fix you because in our opinion, you're already perfect. We are here to help you remember who you truly are. That light inside of you that you thought you lost forever. I think you know the one I'm talking about, right? That one. We're brash and blunt and give it to you straight. You'll most likely love us and hate us at the same time. And for us, that's perfect. Because what we are here to do is open your heart and expand your mind so you can live your ultimate life. And if you're wanting more support at any time or just want to interact with Guy and I, find our Personal Development Without the Fluff group on Facebook and come hang out with us and other like-minded, amazing human beings. So if you're done with fantasizing about your life and you're ready to go start living it, welcome to our show. Now let's get started. All right, everybody, welcome. We're about to do a live recording of the Have It All show. So if you wanna join us, that'd be cool. If you have questions as we're going through this, feel free to drop them in. Uh, You can probably see. Uh, there's the three of us today, which is awesome. And our guest today is Glenn Livingston. So first of all, Glenn, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, Glenn and I, um, we were wrapping. We always do pre-interviews before we actually do the live calls and we were wrapping and I just, we had such a good time chatting. And I was like, oh man, we can take this conversation in so many different ways. So I'm excited to see what comes out of this today. Before we jump in, Glenn, I, I would love for you to share your story because you've kind of been and done so many different things. Um,
2: So just so people know a little bit about you. Okay. Um, Well, the short version is that I am a psychologist by training, child and family psychologist by training. And I am also a former binge eater. And because I never had kids and never commuted, my ex-wife traveled for business. I did a lot of consulting for industry, um, among them uh, big food companies, and big pharmaceutical companies, and I'm not really proud of that. I made a lot of money, but I felt like I was on the wrong side of the war, and that's Mm -hmm. part of my story. It's part of of how I got here. Um, Probably what's most important for people to know is that I developed this approach to binge eating for myself privately. I, I was not going to share it. I was not going to try to help people with it. I just developed it for it privately, and I did that because I'm a big guy. I'm 6'4". i I'm you know, kind of muscular, a little muscular. And from the time I was 17, I figured out that if I worked out for two or three hours a day, I could eat anything I wanted to. And I didn't think this was a problem. You know, two boxes of pizza, a box of mu- of Munchkins, a box of muffins, a box of chocolate bars. Um, you know, I, I would eat the whole pizza. I wouldn't eat the box, but that was about it. And if you happened to stop at a 7-Eleven in my neighborhood, you probably would find they were out of Pop-Tarts and. Uh, out, out of pretzels and everything like that. So so I had a really serious problem. It didn't seem like a problem at first, but when I was 22 or 23 years old and I was married and I was commuting two hours a day to go to graduate school and I had patience and, you know, my wife, God forbid, wanted to talk to me sometimes. I just, I didn't have the time to work out like that, but I found that the foods had a life of their own. Mm-hmm. Coming from a family of 17 psychotherapists, I took the psychological, you know, my mom and my dad and my sister and my aunts and my uncles and my stepmom and my stepdad and my brother-in-law and my cousins and... Wow. You know, yeah. Something breaks in the house. Nobody knows how to fix it, but we all can ask it right. Thanksgiving dinner must be super interesting. You don't want to come. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it was a very soulful upbringing. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't regret it for anything but sometimes if you have a hammer everything looks like a nail and yep. so i made this assumption that the way to fix this was to f- find the hole in my heart mm. there must be a hole in my heart i must be eating to fill it up if i can fill up that hole in my heart then i'm going to stop wanting to eat so much and i went to the best therapists probably in the world because i was in and around new york city and my family had all these connections i went to Ovaries anonymous i went to see a psychiatrist. I took medication. Um, I even did a 40,000-person study because in my consulting, I I was able to do these large studies. I knew how to conduct them and how to recruit them on the Internet when things were cheap. Mm. And over the course of a lot of years, I had 40,000 people take a survey all about the foods that they couldn't stop eating and what was stressing them in their life and some personality things. Um, I found some interesting things. I, I found out that people who struggled with chocolate like me I always say hand over the chocolate and nobody gets hurt. People that, that struggled like me, we tended to be lonely or depressed or brokenhearted. People who struggled with crunchy, salty things like chips and pretzels, they tend to be more stressed at work. And people who struggled with starchy, soft, chewy things like, you know, pizza and bagels and and bread and pasta, they they tended to be stressed at home. Not, not to veer
0: too much off track, but th- is that something to do with the
2: biochemistry of the brain and the response of the body to those foods? I don't really know. Okay. I don't really know. I'll, I'll tell you why I don't know in a minute. It turned out it was sending me on a wild goose chase as far as fixing my own problem, which is why I did the study originally. Um, I'll tell you a story to illustrate that. So before I was going to talk to anybody else about it, I figured I'll talk to my mom because she raised me, and I said, Mom, I found out that people who struggle with chocolate, they are lonely or brokenhearted or depressed. And you know, I'm not really happy in the marriage and you know, I'm having some of those feelings, but it doesn't totally make sense to me. How did this all start? You Mm. were there, you're a psychotherapist. How did this all start? And she gets this awful look on her face and she goes, honey, I'm so sorry, I am so Mm. sorry. And I said, mom, it's okay, whatever it is, it's 40 years ago, this was 10 years ago, from now. It's like 40 years ago, I forgive you. I just need to figure this out. I got to stop eating. And she says, well, I'm so sorry, but when you were one year old in 1965, your dad was a captain in the army and they were talking about sending him to Vietnam. And I was terrified. We're trying to get pregnant with your sister and that I'm going to have two little kids. I'll be an army widow. And what what am I going to do? And at the same time, my dad, your grandfather, he just got out of jail. And I had thought he was this wonderful person. I idolized him my whole life, but he was guilty. He was really doing these things, and I, I, my life fell apart. Hmm. So half the time, when you were that age, I was just sitting and staring at the wall and feeling depressed and anxious. Wow. And, 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 you know, I did not have the wherewithal to hug you and hold you and love you when you came running to me all the time. So what I did is I kept a big bottle of chocolate Bosco syrup in the refrigerator. It's a little refrigerator on the floor. Mm. And when you came running to me for love, I would say, honey, go get your Bosco. Uh. And you would go charging over to the refrigerator, you'd take out the chocolate syrup bottle, you'd open the cap, you'd suck on it on the top, and you'd go into a chocolate sugar coma. Wow. Now, if this were a movie, This point in the movie is where mom and I would have a big cry and a big hug, and I would say, I forgive you, mom, and mom would forgive me. And and then I'd never have trouble with chocolate again, right? But what actually happened was my chocolate eating got worse. Mm. The reason it got, we did have a big hug, and I learned all kinds of things. It was was a really good conversation to have. Mm -hmm. And I could forgive myself in a lot of ways after the conversation that I couldn't forgive myself before. So it was very soulful and helpful in that way. But it made the binge eating worse because there was this voice in my head and it went something like this. You know what, Glenn? You're right. Your mama didn't love you enough. And she mm-hmm. left a great big chocolate-sized hole in your heart. And until you can find the love of your life and get out of this marriage, you're going to have to go right on binging on chocolate. Yippee, let's go get more. Wow. Right. Here's what I learned from that. Coupled with some other findings I'll tell you in a minute. I learned that the love-yourself-thin model doesn't really work, at least for people like me. I learned that emotions are not necessarily the primal cause of overeating. They might cause a desire, but there's this voice of mediation. this voice of justification that has to rationalize the changing of your mind. Because if I had made a sacred contract with myself and I said, I'm not going to have chocolate during the week, then there was this voice in my head that said, well, what about that chocolate-sized hole in your heart? And then... They're, you you need this, you don't have enough love in your life, whatever the word is, so, you worked out hard enough, you don't have to diet today, you can start tomorrow. Or chocolate comes from a coca bean that grows on a plant and therefore is a vegetable. <laughs> Any of that, that's that's the voice of justification. I'll skip ahead to the solution, but I want to cover two more pieces that caused me to flip the paradigm. Sure. The solution was recognizing that you don't have to solve all your emotional problems before you can stop overeating. What you need to do is recognize and disempower that voice of justification. You could think of emotions like a roaring fire. Now, if you have a roaring fire in a well-contained fireplace in the living room, that's not a problem. That becomes the center of hearth and home. People gather around around it, they make memories, they talk, they warm, they laugh. It's, you want, you want a roaring fire in the living room. You want those emotions. The problem is if there's a hole in the fireplace, if even one ember can escape, it can burn the house down. And it turns out that that fireplace, the thing that pokes holes in that fireplace is that voice of justification. Sure. And if you can stop it from doing that, that it was just a lot quicker to do that. Um, I also discovered during that period of time, when I looked a little bit into the neurology, that... The brain ostensibly has three pieces. There's the earliest evolved part of the brain. This doesn't matter if God put it there or it evolved, but I'm more of an evolutionist. So um, the earliest part of the brain, the primitive part of the brain, the reptilian brain, which is responsible for fight or flight or feast or famine, are emergency responses. When that evaluates something in the environment, it says, do I eat it, do I mate with it, or do I kill it? There is no love there. This is the part of the brain that responds to to food addiction. This is the part of the brain that generates a perceived emergency and says, you're going to starve if you don't have that chocolate, right? You have to do this right now. Then there's the mammalian brain, which is on top of it, and I'm visualizing it like this for a reason, because it's a little later evolved and it's more adaptive. It says before you eat, mate, or kill that thing. What impact is this going to have on the people that we love? How is this going to affect your tribe and your relationships and your family? And then there's the neocortex, which I'm grossly oversimplifying this and a neurologist would take me to task. But basically it says, you know, before you eat, mate, or kill that thing, what about your long-term plans? Hold off a second there. What about your contributions to society and the kind of person that you think of yourself as and your spirituality and your music and your art? and what? Okay. So here's what I did. I have to cover one more piece. The last piece of it was because I was doing so much consulting for big food, I was privy to the billions of dollars that they're spending to engineer hyperpalatable food-like substances, concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and, and salt and excitotoxins that are intended to hit your bliss point targeting the lizard brain making you perceive that it's an emergency that you have this without giving you enough nutrition to feel satisfied. I said, that's an overwhelming force that has nothing to do with what my mother did when I was one year old. Mm. Then the advertising industry takes advantage of the fact that people think advertising doesn't affect them and advertising actually affects you more when you think it doesn't affect you. And they make you believe that this stuff is healthy for you. I, I was working with a VP of a major food bar manufacturer, which you don't recognize if I said, which I'm not going to say so they don't sue my ass. Um, but did I just say a bad word? I'm sorry. No, no it's okay. okay.
0: You can curse on. Me. We have the explicit <laughs> sign next to every podcast episode. For
2: a <laughs> 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 okay, I don't want to bring the FTC down in here. Um, has <laughs> not happened yet. So the food bar manufacturer, the the VP who happened to be a friend of mine, confided in me. He said, you know, the most profitable thing we ever did was take the vitamins out of the bar. I said, you're kidding me. He said, yeah, they were making it taste worse and they were expensive. So we put that money into the packaging instead and we made it look healthy, we made it vibrant and colorful and shiny. And in nature, a diversity of shiny, vibrant colors is supposed to signal a diversity of available antioxidants and nutrients. Think of a crisp green salad with you know, red tomatoes and blueberries and yellow carrots. It, it's, there's a reason we respond to color. It signals the available. And so I said, so you're faking us out. And he kind of goes, "Yeah." So I realized that these were overwhelming forces. Big advertising, big, big food, um, the, the way that the lizard brain worked. There was no love involved with this. And so I tried something really primitive to get a hold of things. And by this point, you know, i have gotten almost to 280 pound, I'm about 215 today, I think. I wasn't working out, so there was actually even more fat back then. And this is a little embarrassing, so I always hesitate here. That's okay. I, That's as a sophistic- okay. Yeah. So I'm a sophisticated kid Psychologist. I've done tens of millions of do- dollars of consulting. I've seen thousands of patients. I've published all these articles. The way that I personally recovered from binge eating was to say, this thing, this lizard brain of mine that's my inner pig. I'm going to draw a really clear line in the sand so that I know the difference between healthy and unhealthy behavior. So I'll say, I will never eat chocolate on a weekday again, for example. Then if I heard a voice in my head that said, you can start tomorrow, you work out hard enough, it's not going to affect you, I would say, that's not me. That's my pig. My pig is squealing for its slop. Chocolate on a Wednesday is pig slop. I don't eat pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. Mm And that very crude and primitive intervention, it wasn't a miracle, it didn't get better right away, but what it did was it would wake me up at the moment of impulse and it gave me the option to make the right choice, to remember who I was and why. And I started to look at that, that voice, which seemed so compelling before, um, but you know, you can, you can diet tomorrow, it's just as easy, you're not going to get any weight, which is not true, by the way. Uh, because the principles of neuroplasticity, the way the brain works, say that if you reinforce a craving today, you're going to have more of the craving tomorrow. Absolutely. So if you're in a hole, stop digging, right? So it's, it's not easier to diet tomorrow. It's now or never. That's what it's like with cravings. It's now or never. So I said, I, I don't even pick stop. and do animals. Tell me what to do. And I was able to start making the choice that I wanted to make. Over time... I started to realize that I could experiment with different rules. I could have things I would always do. And that I was making the rules, it was kind of silly that I was breaking them. And slowly but surely, I was able to comply, and I, it just kind of became a part of me. I made different rules that became a part of me, and um, now I'm good. And people don't quite recognize me by name, they don't know my name, but they recognize me in a bookstore sometimes, and they'll point at me and they'll go, pig guy, pig guy. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is, uh, <laughs> sign my book big guy <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's it's not something you want to happen to you when you're on a first date uh, yeah <laughs> well you know yeah, well, pigs, have bad, pigs have a bad a bad rap they're actually really smart animals P- <laughs> pigs are, I, I wish i found a different metaphor because pigs are very sweet animals and they need sure. our help
0: yeah well
2: yeah. that's beautiful and i mean i think it echoes most
0: spiritual growth right it's like everyone's got their addictions and their allergies to things and it just kind of depends what's hooked you in life, right? So obviously that that can be a any hook can be very dangerous. What what I think, if I could recreate kind of what you said, is you started creating what you and I call is like a subtle awareness, which is like noticing that the thoughts are not your own. You're actually the uh, observer, yeah. the of these thoughts. And so this will start giving people access to the difference between just taking what you're calling like lizard action, which is like impulse action versus aware action, which is, hey, I can tune in to how my body feels. I know that I could go take that action. Yes, it's going to be that momentary.
1: uh, And
0: then there's the long-term, you know, just like like shit about myself, which is the same thing that the way a smoker feels or the way a drinker feels or the way a a sex addict feels, um, right? It's like that that immediate um, craving. um, But the moment you start creating that gap of separation, you know, even if you give yourself a minute or two, which is oftentimes what we tell people we just ran like a whole health and food um, program with, with one of our groups. And that was a thing, like for anybody who's really struggling, we're like, Hey, look, we know you want that food <laughs> to tell you, you can't have It is going to activate everything in your body. That's like you said, a fight or flight response and whatever the programming is around how you protect yourself, you're going to go and take that action and we can look at your past to see how your future is going to look. However, if you sit here for two minutes and you create that awareness and you really tune into what's gonna, what's about to happen as you go reach for that thing. If you can go reach for that thing in alignment, eat it with awareness. And you can do that, eat it. But if you can't, give yourself those two minutes to tune in, check that out first, and then go make that choice and see how that feels. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and that to me is usually enough time for a person to kind of move through some of the brain tissue like you were saying because it's like it's it's interesting I, I, it didn't really hit me until you kind of put it this way it's like past present future right the way the brain's built it's like this is concerned with uh, like the, the original programming of the human race so it's like what our ancestors did what the yeah, will of the species did, right yeah. and then it's like this okay taking more into consideration what's going on now and then the neocortex is really about like boom like big vision right like how wide can I go with how this is going to affect me and all those things placate on the mind really differently so you know, I, I, I think you could apply, and I'm sure you have, because I'm sure stopping that process, or at least, get, you know, I don't want to say gaining control over because I, I don't like control as a thing for people to try to achieve, um, but I'm sure it's impacted every area of your
2: life, not just this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they, there's, a, there's a subtlety about it uh, as compared to the black and white addictions. People say, well, can you use this for drugs or alcohol? Well, I actually got the idea from a guy who does this kind of thing with drugs and alcohol named Jack Trimpey. He wrote a book called Rational Recovery. But there's some key differences because you can't, you can stop smoking entirely. You can stop drinking entirely. Mm -hmm. Um, Food is something you have to take the lion out of the cage and walk it around the block a couple of of (laughs) times. True. I like that,
1: Lion out of the cage and walk them around. (laughs) Well, you
2: do, you do. Yeah. Yeah. And, And because of that, people are more prone to making mistakes. So someone could say, I will never drink again and they can mean it and they can actually give up alcohol and never have another sip for the rest of their life. Um, there, you, when you do this with food, it's more of a bullseye. And it's important to have a very crystal, a very clear definition of the bullseye so that you're, you know what you're aiming at and you know by how much you missed it so you can make adjustments. But while you want to commit with perfection... When you're, when an Olympic archer is shooting at a bullseye, before they let it go, they are not thinking maybe I'll make it, maybe I won't. They're seeing the arrow go into the bullseye, right? And that, what that does is it allows them to purge their mind of the doubt and distraction that would otherwise drain their energy. Because if you're sitting there thinking maybe I'll make it, maybe I won't, I'll just do the best I can, that's um, not really the attitude of a winner. It's, if you make a mistake, on the other hand, you're not supposed to shoot all the arrows into the audience, or just say screw it and you know shoot them up into the air. <laughs> you're 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 supposed to take it seriously, analyze what went wrong, make adjustments, and then commit with perfection against it. So I say commit with perfection and forgive yourself with dignity. Hmm. Now, I and mean, there's not really a strong moral component with food problems. I mean, you could say, well, you might die an earlier death, you know, and you should be taking care of your family and whatever. But, but in the end, society doesn't really place a very strong moral component on what you eat. If it, if you are killing yourself, it's a very slow death. Uh, but And so it's possible to recover like this by continuing to get up and shoot at the bullseye and then commit with perfection, forgive yourself begin for dignity. When you are looking at drugs or alcohol, where uh, one mistake could uh, maim or mutilate someone else, right, because you're going to get behind the wheel of a car and, mm-hmm. and drive away. You can't really be that soft on yourself and say, well, commit re- with perfection and and forgive yourself with dignity. You really need to make a solemn commitment, kind of like a marriage commitment that says, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do the best I can. I'm I'm stopping because I'm going to hurt somebody if I don't. Sure. So I, I don't typically try to go after drugs and alcohol with this technology myself. I refer them off to Jack Trimpey You're one of the other people that does that type of thing.
1: So I, I have a question, and we kind of spoke about this when we had first talked. Because um, at the end of the day, that story that you shared with mom, you know, and, and the Bosco, it's like there's endless amounts of people out there trying to fill their you know chocolate hole in, in themselves of some with something, right? And it's like donuts, cakes, sex, this, whatever. And ultimately, this is kind of where we started to talk about, it's like what they're doing is they're masking. It's like the Band-Aid goes on. You stop feeling that pain inside, you know, of, for example, like mom didn't give me attention or I'm not loved or enough or whatever it is. Right. And then that transpires through the decades. Then you try to keep finding Band-Aids for these things through other means. So it's not food. It's this. It's not this relationship. It's that relationship. And you go on and on and on and i love that you simplified the first piece because i think sometimes people do try to heal that trauma and it doesn't work for them because the the there's grooves that are so laid that the second something happens that takes them out of that awareness it's like it's habitual right so they've been doing that for decades so they're going to do it so You've gotten yourself through that, through this technique. And then the question I asked you before was like, you know, when you look in the mirror now, do you still see the fat kid? Do you still see, (laughs) you still see the, the boy that mom didn't love. And that's when we kind of, you know, as someone who's been in the work and like working with families and as a psychologist and things like that, it's like there's so many other things that I know you knew were happening inside. So I'd love for you to share just, once you kind of got through that layer mm-hmm. of, okay, this is the habit. Okay. I handled the habit. Cause I gave myself that distance. Like you said, with the, with the pig, then comes to me, like then comes the real work. It's like, you know, just because someone has plastic surgery, it doesn't fix what's happening inside. So now they're walking around with all this stuff done, but like inside, there's still that, you know, collapsed, not enough version of themselves. So I'd love for you to share, you know, what the journey's been like after that initial piece and like the kind of work that you're doing now or have been doing to to actually go through the, the healing the process. Kind,
2: the kind that I've worked, it's very healing for me to have worked with so many people and see them go through their sure. healing process. Um, so I'll say a couple of things. First of all, I am on the other side of that in the sense that I, I do love myself now and having seen myself behave in a totally different way with food for so many years has caused me to uh, have a different identity. I, I, I no longer feel powerless. I no longer feel like I can't control myself. I am, I walk around with pride You know. you know, sometimes I'm like right now I'm about 10 pounds from where I, I should be. And so, okay, I'm a little embarrassed about that. I'm going to get back at it. But, um, but you know, 99%, I feel like I've been, healed and I can walk around with my head held high. And as a consequence, I experienced a lot more love in the world. Mm. When I stopped binge eating, I felt a lot more present. And at first I was overwhelmed because it seemed like everybody was smiling at me. (laughs) And, And I just was not, you know, I was with my head down and I just was not there. I was thinking about when can I get the next pizza. Right. And I didn't recognize that people out there wanted to love me. And I... It was overwhelming. I didn't know what to do with it. And I kind of retreated for a little while and, and that, but then I, then I came back and I thought like, this is a much better life and I'd rather live the balance of my life like this. I think that there are some scars that don't go away entirely. I think that any formerly obese person will tell you that they can tell when someone used to be fat, because there's, there's a certain shame that we have on our face that doesn't ever go away entirely. I wish. I mean, I'd like to find the cure for that. Uh, maybe, maybe when I've been good for twenty years, maybe that's not there at all. But I still feel like people can see that I couldn't control myself. I, I can't control myself now, but I still feel like people can see that I couldn't in the past, and I'm I'm embarrassed by that. Um, the emotional part of the journey was a blessing from the beginning, even though it didn't solve the food problem. There, there are patterns that get up in terms of the types of food that we go to and the timing that we go to and what triggers it, that can teach you all sorts of things about yourself and lead to all sorts of soulful conversations. And I, I feel like that whole journey through all those psychotherapists is a rich part of who I became. I think it makes me a more soulful person. I think I have a lot more to say because I went through all that. I think there's a piece, though, that is ignored during that effort which is that excess food is not only for comfort. It, when you overload the digestive system, you do interfere with the nervous system's ability to conduct the emotions. And so excess food has an analgesic effect. And people say, well, I needed to numb out. I needed to escape from the feeling. That's true, but it ignores the fact that what most people are binging on are supersized concentrations of pleasure that, aren't available in nature at that level. Another word for that is like a drug. And, and what we're actually doing is getting high with these food drugs. Yep. And, and I think that the reason I want to include that in the paradigm is because if people think that they are only eating for emotional reasons, it's really easy to start for your pig to start taking advantage of that and say, you know, please feed me. I'm, I'm so sad, and you know, I'm, I'm so mad, or I'm so tired. And, you know, yeah, I, the only thing that's going to make a difference is some slob. Just give me some chocolate. Um, you know, I, I think it's really easy for the pig to do that. And most people don't want to perceive themselves as a drug addict. So I like, like to remind everyone that we're actually getting high on these things. The other thing I want to remind everybody of is that you will perceive that there's no way out you will believe that there's no pleasure in life uh, besides the chocolate. The reason for that is a phenomenon called down regulation of the nervous system. If you present a supersized stimulus to your nervous system repeatedly, if you overstimulate the pleasure system, your brain and your taste buds have to cool their reaction. The same phenomenon where in graduate school, at first I slept in Astoria, Queens, right underneath the subway, and I couldn't sleep for two weeks. I just kept hearing the subway, but the third week I didn't hear it at all Hmm. because my brain said, okay, that's an expectable stimulus. There's no reason to, there's no value in responding to that. I've got to downplay it. People get to the point with the sophistication of the hyperpalatable food-like substances these days, they get to the point that they almost can't experience any pleasure at all without the supersized stimulus. And so everybody says, I, I can never lose weight because I hate fruits and vegetables. No, you hate fruits and vegetables because you're flooding your body with these supersized stimulus stimuli. If you let go of that, if you don't have chocolate for a month, by the end of that month, your taste buds will probably have doubled in sensitivity. You'll be able to start getting pleasure again from what nature has to offer. At this point, I evolved to where I just didn't want to have chocolate at all. It was just easier. At this point... I can tell the difference, the subtle difference in flavor between a gala apple and a Fuji apple and a, um, and a delicious apple, you know, and I have my favorites and I have the ones that disappoint me. <laughs> I had no idea what that was, you know, years ago. You're not supposed to believe me about this. You're supposed, just supposed to try it and see what happens. Um, sure. Your pig will be saying this isn't possible and get this idiot doctor off of, the, <laughs> off of this show. He's got a pig inside of him anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> I got a
1: chocolate-eating pig, too. Hello, my favorite listener. That's you. I wanted to share with you some of the amazing results and breakthroughs your fellow Satorians are experiencing as we speak from being in the collective with us. So if you haven't heard about the collective or what you're missing out, check this out. So Amanda writes a couple of years ago, I was destitute living back with my parents at 36. I'd lost my job was overcome with chronic illness and a strong victim mindset. And I was totally stuck. Through the influence of your training, I'm enjoying a much more fulfilling life. I've moved back home gotten a great job, taken control of my health, and even bought the car I've always wanted. I'm ready to go even further into my awakening and manifest the life I truly deserve. I couldn't be happier to be part of this tribe of amazing human beings. Robin said to us, thank you. Since March, I've started meditating every day. I've lost 27 pounds. I've resigned from a job that I hated but stuck with because of the money and i have already received three new job offers and even taken one of them that is paying more And I'm much happier. Plus my relationship with my husband is flourishing too. Thank you. And Paul writes, after talking to my daughter, I now know that I feel relieved and much lighter because of it. Thank you again for everything. You guys have changed my life. I feel like I've come farther in the last few weeks than I have in the last few years. I'm so grateful for your help and support. I love you guys. Look, I know this podcast adds tremendous value to your life. My suggestion, is head to satoriprime.com forward slash collective right now and jump headfirst into the collective. After all, it's only a $9 a month investment. And you'll get access to Guy and I in a whole new way. You'll learn some of the most cutting edge technology that we share with our best clients, but we can't really share here on the podcast. Imagine you and us interacting with each other live every two weeks for just $9. It's incredible, as you've seen before. So if you're wanting breakthrough results in your life quickly, head to satoriprime.com forward slash collective and begin to deepen your journey as a Satorian today.
0: We had a really incredible guest on, I don't know, maybe like a few months back, uh, a naturopathic doctor. And uh, she said that, you know, nothing you put in your body is neutral, right? So it's like uh, everything could be looked at like a drug in some form or fashion, whether it's... Mm -mm whether the lotion you're putting on your skin or whether it's something that you're putting in your mouth. So for me, it's like food and, and any substance really is either kind of going towards leaning towards drug, which we can say has like a negative long-term effect or even short-term long-term effect or medicine, right? You eat whole foods. I, I, I you know, there's all these uh, documentaries these days, like game changers and forks over knives. And you watch these people who are have, whether it's binge eating or other, you know, food phenomenon type of, um, Complications and they go on a whole food diet for like two weeks and their mood is massively improved. Like their blood pressure drops by, you know, 30, 40%. Like it, at every scale that you want to see health, like health returns very quickly, which is amazing. Like I always think about this people who drug abuse, alcohol abuse, food abuse, the body's an incredible machine. It puts up with abuse like crazy. It's not like you're going to do this for 10 years, it's going to shut down. It's going to take that abuse for decades. But because we don't look at it in the same way that we might look at alcohol, where there is an after effect, like you're kind of describing this emotional effect, this physical effect, this neurological effect. And because we don't think of food as medicine or as drug, then we don't think to regulate it the same way. We don't think about how we put it in our body the same way. We don't really think about the effects. And I think that there is room, certainly in the culture, to change a little bit about the conversation. I know like for me, when people are like, well, you know, how do I start having healthy habits? I said, well, you know, when you go to a supermarket, they're like, yeah. I'm like, don't walk down the aisles everything that's on the outside is in refrigerators and it's perishable and it's perishable for a reason. And everything down the aisles is not, I'm like, and if it's not perishable, it couldn't possibly be of nature. So I'm like, if you want to eat something healthy, just, just walk around the outside. I'm like that, that alone will change your health scale immediately. However, I do think it's really important to start dealing with and bringing so much more awareness to the psychological components that you've had to go through all these many, 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 many stages. And I think it's important to realize like you had to go back to your mom to realize that a habit was formed right before you had the mind to know that that was happening. So that you didn't have the cognition, you didn't have the language, you didn't make a choice when you were one years old. You're like, all right, chocolate it is for me, right? And yet, <laughs> and yet that impact is there for foreseeably the rest of your life. And I you said half a century later. Yeah. I don't know if there, you said, I, I don't know if there is. And
1: probably will be forever. I yeah, mean, well, chocolate's chocolate, like it's yeah. in there.
0: So I was, again, I want to just kind of relay it to, everything that people are going through because so much of what people try to get back to with a psychologist psychiatrist is like, Hey, what's that original thing that happened to me? If I could just understand why it happened, how it happened, I think I can like manage it. But the reality is so much of that is ingrained in the DNA and the regulation of the nervous system and stuff like this, that it's like that, that really isn't it. It's, it's what it always is. When I see people get a handle on things, it's, they increase their awareness.
2: Yeah. It's just an and, and, and address, I address yeah. the habit. Yeah. And if you're interested in what happened to you, when you stop the behavior, you'll be more likely to remember different pieces and components. Right. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Ask, yeah. Ask any psychologist. They'd much rather have someone who wasn't using them than was using. You make a lot more progress. And you might never solve the emotional problems if you continue the behavior.
1: Yeah. I, you know, there's something really interesting that as you were sharing the story, it just came to me and it's a tool that we've been using, but I don't know that I've necessarily called it a tool, at least not of recent, uh, memory. And it's the power of naming things. It's like, you know, you name that part of you and it all of a sudden delineates that from you. So it's not like you talking to yourself. Now there's this other entity, Um, and I know that for Guy and I, like we've started naming everything like, like there's inside of me, there are hundreds of parts. There are parts that I call the judger and the manager and the inquisitor. And, and it's really profoundly helped me realize that, yeah, I I'm this entity and inside of this entity, there's all of these other parts, some that are trying to protect me and some that are trying to help me and some that are trying to, you know, stop me from doing stupid shit. And like the more we see them and integrate them into the whole has been incredibly helpful so realizing that yeah you look like i have a sweet tooth i love sweet things and i've also had to deal with that part of me that's like after every meal it's like go get me something sweet i've been dealing with this for decades right like of, of awareness i'm i It was always running me, but now like there's some awareness and it's so funny because as I took one step, just one in the direction of having a, like a more conscious, healthier lifestyle that like the voice is always there. It's just that now, because it's separate from me, I can go, Oh, you want something healthy? Like today after lunch, for example, I started eating dates and and I found that like when I eat a date that consistency and the sweetness and all that stuff it like the part of the brain's like good 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 we're good and i'm like i'll give you a date you know like <laughs> we could we, we're good like the date is good but it took that um naming it to get that separation a little bit uh-huh. and then that gave you or me and and i'm sure you too like a little bit of space to at least choose uh-huh. And I think the part that you added, which maybe people missed is like, and, and maybe you can talk about it. Um, I think you talk about the difference between guides and rules. Yeah. And, and I really like how you d- describe that because it is really profound to say like, okay, this is my rule versus,
2: oh, I'm just going to follow this kind of guide to, to dieting. Mm-hmm. I'm going to answer that in one second. I just want to address some of the other things that you said, please, if that's okay. Please, Absolutely. I'm, I'm sorry for the plane going overhead. Can't hear it. Okay, okay. So the, the idea that we have all of these separate parts to our, our identity and that we ultimately need to integrate it into a whole, um, that comes from Gestalt therapy, and there's a lot of psychological value to that. Uh, this is just a little, little bit different than that. It's, it's basically what you're observing, except that we don't really think of the pig as a part of our human identity. I found that it's helpful to think of it more like a bodily organ. A good example would be my bladder. My bladder could create a very strong biological urge to go pee right now, but I'm not gonna do it until this interview is done. Why? Because I have particular goals. I wanna have a particular relationship with you guys. I wanna accomplish a particular thing. And because I'm the boss, because I'm superior to my bladder. At the same time, I can't utterly ignore my physical needs. I can't can't make a rule said, I'm never going to pee again because my bladder is going to tell me otherwise at some point. So there is always an authentic need behind a craving. Sometimes it's an emotional need. Um, a lot of times it's a physical need. Most most binge eaters, for example, are also really good dieters, so they tend to over restrict. And then suddenly the brain says enough already. You know you're going to have to be less discriminating. Screw all your rules. Let's let's go do it. Totally. So, so what we find is that by changing the goal somewhat to a complete separation between your human identity and the reptilian brain. The reptilian brain is just this thing that lives inside of you. You can't kill it because you need it for survival, but it's been corrupted and it's been sent in the wrong direction. When we think of ourselves more like the alpha wolf who has to control this challenger for leadership, and we identify completely with that alpha wolf, it forces you to separate your constructive versus your destructive thoughts about food and to keep reminding yourself that you have the ability to choose. And over time, that identity um, congeals and you, know, you feel like you've got a uh, character of discipline and you know, possibility. The, what was the other thing you said about rules versus guidelines? Yeah. So one of the things that struck me fairly early on was there was all this research that suggested that willpower was not a black and white thing that some people were gifted with and some people weren't. It was more like gas in your tank and that there were things that put gas in the tank and there were things that wore it down. One of the biggest things that wore down your willpower was decision making, not just decisions about food. People have trouble resisting marshmallows after we get them to do math problems. When when you if you make them do their email before you offer them the marshmallows, and we're allowed to take marshmallows after they did their email because they were deciding, do I reply? Do I report this to spam? Do I delete it? Do I defer it? Do I delegate it? There's uh, brain juice that's being expanded while you do that. And it's it's part of your willpower for the day. So the standard advice about eating is to eat well 90% of the time and indulge 10% of the time. Uh, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, that kind of thing. The problem with that, although it's very good in theory, it's it's a great guideline, it's kind of a North Star, it requires constant decision-making. Mm. If, I'm, if, I'm if I'm going to avoid chocolate 90% of the time, but have it 10% of the time, every single time I'm in Starbucks and there's a chocolate bar on the counter that's got my name on it, I've got to make another chocolate decision. I could accomplish the same thing, 90-10, by saying... I'll only ever eat chocolate on the last three days of the calendar month. Then all of my chocolate decisions have been made all month long, and I'm in a much better position. For, this is the reason that I regularly work with people who tell me their whole life they, uh, they haven't been able to have you know, one piece of bread when they go out to dinner because they, you know, they just go to town, it leads to a really long binge, and I I'll say, well, okay. First of all, there's no doctor out there diagnosing a bread deficiency. So if you don't want to have bread, that's okay. You're not going to you're not going to die of not having bread. But if you really want to be able to have some bread in your life, then what if we plan the whole thing out very specifically? Exactly how many pieces of bread, bread are you going to have? What are you going to have it with? How are you going to know when it's done? When are you going to stop? And you walk them through that in their mind. You write it down, and then they've made their decisions, and they don't walk into the tempting situation. And a restaurant is utterly and completely designed to tempt your pig. It's utterly Mm -hmm. and completely designed to overwhelm your better judgment. And they don't go in there having to make any decisions. There's a bit of a shortcut for all this when I realized what was happening. When you're creating these rules and living with with them for a while and eventually they become part of you, it's more like you're becoming the kind of person who doesn't have chocolate more than three days a month, right? Or... You're becoming the kind of person who never eats bread. It becomes a part of your character, and character trumps willpower because because your decisions are made for you. And if you think about it, we all live by unwritten rules that control our behavior in day-to-day situations. You know, we never kick policemen in the tushy. We, We just, I mean, I guess some people do, but... 99% 99% of us don't kick policemen in the place. We're not those kind of people. We are law-abiding citizens. That's the kind of people we are. You walk into a diner and there's a $10 bill on the table because the waitress hasn't seen her tip. And she says, I'll be right back. I have to get the menu. You don't take the $10, even if there are no windows and nobody up front that's going to see you take it because you're not a thief. You never sat down and wrote that down on a piece of paper, but you think of yourself as someone who wouldn't take money from someone else who worked hard for it. You can do the same thing with food. And what I've discovered is by doing the work, it's a a little bit of thinking work, you got to do it for a couple of months and kind of sort it out by doing the work to make those rules explicit and figure out exactly what kind of person you want to be. And nobody can tell you, I'm not going to tell you to have bread or not have bread. I'm not going to tell you to go on a, I'm I'm a whole foods plant-based person, but I'm not going to tell you to do that. A lot of people want to do Low carb and, and you—you're the one who has to decide. You have to gather the information. We live in a free society. You—you you decide, and and you write down exactly what that is. What kind of person are you going to be? You say, "I am becoming that kind of person." You make a mistake. Okay, well, you know, everything worthwhile requires making mistakes and getting back up and trying again. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is the kind of person I want to become with food, and and they do it. They do it over time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, even for me, like as I started to feel like alcohol was impacting me, even a glass of wine a night or a beer a night, I'd wake up the next day and I just wasn't feeling well. I wasn't feeling sharp. I wasn't feeling clear. And for the kind of work that we do, I wanted to be here fully present, like fully available for for the people that we get to work with. And um, I just started to notice that it was impacting me, impacting my sleep, how I woke up, et cetera. And so, at the time, I just made a rule, and I was like, "I don't drink during the week." Yeah, and it didn't matter. Like, I went out to dinners. I didn't go out to dinners. I was home. It just, I don't drink during the week.
2: See, sometimes people just grow up around things, and they say, "Life is not one big party." Um, you know, there's all this really cool food. There's all this really cool substances that make me feel grateful while and awful later on. At some point, they say, "You know what? I like the way I feel better when I'm." you know, doing some exercise, getting a better night's sleep, you know, being able to get up and study in the morning and I don't want to do that anymore. I'm, I'm just going to do it on the weekends. I'm a grown up now. I'll live with the memories. I had some good times, but you know, the party was in my youth and youth is wasted on the young and I'm just going to go forward. Yeah. People grow out of it.
1: Yeah. There's uh, I think anything, especially this kind of big shifts there's also, you're, you're just dealing with a lot, like decades and decades worth of, of neurological patterns and pathways that you got to give yourself a little patience and a little bit of grace as you're going through it because you're working against a machine that's, you know, like to, to use that analogy of, you know, the pathways are like super highways. So it's like super easy for your brain to just be like, hey, piece of chocolate, that's going to make this thing go away. Yeah it's a lot more difficult at the beginning. It's like going up some jungle clunky, you know, back muddy road to just pause and be like, okay, wait a second, right? So there's gonna be that little bit of gap. And this is true for anything that we do, whether it's like starting to work out, working on your business, making changes in your relationship, things like that. There's always that part. And so I think a lot of people have this delusion, like, oh, I'm gonna do this for a week. And then it's going to be fixed or, Oh, I'm going to read this one magical thing in this one magical book. Just tell me which book and I'll read it. And then my (laughs) life is going to all work out. And there, there's just something to it. It's like, you know, that question that I asked you uh, before, which is like, after all this time, do you still look in the mirror and see the fat kid? And you said, yes. And I think the majority of people who have lost weight would say so. And that too requires patience and grace to be able to slowly have the mind catch up to what happened in the body is
0: it just takes time and just to add to that just a little bit I think I think the really big distinction there is not to stop seeing yourself necessarily as the fat kid right like Elon's gonna continue we're gonna go to story but anybody who listens to the podcast knows like stories like I'm a loser like mine's like I'm not good enough right whatever it is whatever that vision is the question is to me or the distinction, is when you look in the mirror, are you now loving that fat kid? Are you now loving that loser versus I can't believe you're still here, the bad, 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 you know, and all this, the judgment that usually comes with it, like being like just expressing a world of love and empathy for that little boy or that little girl that got hurt, the little boy or little girl, whose mom gave him Bosco because she didn't have the resources to take care of herself, nevertheless, right. children. And that's right. true for almost anybody I know that has some kind of trauma or psychological developmental break when they're kids. Like, Here's the truth. Like Whatever generally people are upset about their parents with or that happened to them in their past, their parents got it worse than them. They were dealing with something similar or worse and honestly didn't have the resources for that. Yet we have this world where... You know, even us, a lot of us have this thing where we have to like give and give and give because it's the only way that we see value in ourselves, right? But it's like we give from an empty cup. There's we don't even have the resources yeah. to give, and we haven't even dealt with our own developmental breaks yet. And and again, we're just trying to get safety. We're just trying to get love. We're just trying to get well-being. And until you can look at that little boy or that little girl in the mirror, and you give them those things. To me, I've always found that then you're behind the eight ball. You're not, it's going to be very, very difficult. And then that's when people turn to willpower. And when it's funny you said that, because that's exactly what we say too. Willpower is like um, fumes in a gas tank. Like the car's still running, but it's only a matter of time before it runs out. And, and willpower will work in like the super short term. But like the first thing that comes that really challenges you, creates anxiety, overwhelm, stress in your system. Willpower goes right out the window and you go right back to the easy stream,
2: right? So I wanted to share a mantra that I use because there 's another piece of this, um, you know my, my body image is much different than it was uh, fifteen years ago, but I do still see the fact hit in the mirror. What I tell myself now is that feelings aren 't facts, and I try not to fall in love with the feelings. If I evaluate myself um, you know, realistically yeah so i 've got a tiny little belly i 'm not, I'm not perfect but i 'm i i 'm a decent looking guy I know how. I know how women respond to me. I know how men respond to me. I, I I, know that factually, I'm not this gross, disgusting guy that I used to feel like I was. Mm. Um, and the truth is, I was never really that gross and disgusting. Mm. You know, I could put on a suit and look decent, and I, I wore it well because I'm, I'm kind of tall, but I felt really gross and disgusting. Feelings aren't facts. And so I softened my superego. I softened that self-critical voice by saying, I'm, and I, I'm not going to wait until I... Feel like I'm a you know tall, thin, good-looking guy. I'm just going to act like one for now because I know the feelings aren't facts. And what what's realistic in this situation? Even if I don't feel it, how should I act? And I just do that, and then then my body image catches up six months later, a year later, two years later. It takes a while.
1: Now, when you work with um, when you work with people. Um, as a psychologist, like, is this something that you work with them on? Or is it, I think you said you deal more with like family situations.
2: Oh, well, I don't really see patients anymore. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm not licensed in Florida. I'm licensed in, in New York. But I offer what I have to offer as coaching. And I largely focus on the very practical aspects of Constructing a food plan that people can live with and that helping them when they fall off. I don't really delve deep into the past with most people anymore because I find that it's faster. You know, it takes, it can take five or 10 years of solid psychotherapy to overcome depression and scars. And there's some scars that are always there. I think that's extraordinarily valuable work, but I've discovered that I can help people fairly quickly with their food. Uh, before, yeah. yeah, And then, you know, if people want to talk to me about some other things and I explain to them that we have to do it as a coach, cause I'm not licensed down here, then, <laughs> then, then I do that. I still like to have those conversations. Yeah. You know, but it's not my you, focus. No,
1: you no. seem very well versed in it, which is, uh, which is why I asked. Um, beautiful bro. Is there any other questions or things you're, you want to share? You're
2: talking to the other guy, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> the other guy. Okay. Literally Bro's the other guy. Um, okay. No, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it. I, I appreciate the honesty. Even the pig thing, I don't, you know, I don't feel any shame around that. I think it's it's valuable for people to hear. I'm 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 the last thing I actually did want to ask you. I'm curious. So, are you like, uh, are you hard now, uh, like hard stop on chocolate? Like, do you never have it, or is it? Just- I haven't had I haven't had chocolate in years. It looks like a big bag of chemicals. Wow. Yeah. And, and and is it kind of like the Alcoholics Anonymous thing? Like, if someone gave you chocolate, you feel like it would be a slippery slope for you?
2: Um, I'm not afraid of it anymore. I just, I just don't want, I don't really want to remember it. It was the bane of my existence for so many years. I feel so free being gone from it, but it's not something that I have to say, well, you know, God grant me the ability to abstain another day. It's just like, I'm not the kind of person who eats chocolate. I know that I never will. It's just, it's my past. That's in the past. And then the last thing I just want to say to the
0: audience, and you can fill in the gaps on this too, if you feel like you want to. I, I had a very skewed view of binge eating, not not prior to today, but just in a generality. I have a very good friend who has a um, a very large company that um, helps women specifically with uh, binge eating, and then I was ironically traveling last year to Austin, Elon, when we went to S F M, and I got in this airplane, and there was a, a girl in the airplane that happens to be in my my local community, but we never really connected, and. And uh, when we went to go have lunch, she kind of opened up to me and explained to me about binge eating. And to me, binge eating is like, you just overeat, you know, like binge drinking. And but she exp- expressed like a really different story about binge eating. Um, and in short, it was kind of like she actually starved herself most of the time. Like she was almost anorexic. And then she would hit this like wall and then she would actually go to the supermarket and buy like, you know, extraordinary yeah. amount of food, like she'd eat like two frozen pizzas and like a gallon of ice cream in like a single sitting, And then she would just vomit basically from,
2: yeah.
0: And this was like her way. So, you know, uh, I'm saying this cause if you're listening and you're like, Oh, that's not really me. It's a pretty broad spectrum and how people approach food and maybe what people are calling binge eating. So I just wanted to throw that in the mix. Cause for me, that was like a kind of a wake up moment. Like, uh, it's not just people sitting down and gorging and being heavy set. Like she was a very thin in shape woman who still had these like psychological issues that food really trapped her in. So I, I want, if someone's listening to this, to kind of give them the more broader appeal that hey, if you do want to talk to Glenn about what it's like, it, you know, you Thank might fit you. in with the categories. Yeah, thanks.
2: This actually works for plain old overeating uh, in some ways better. It's just that people don't always have the motivation to do it if they're not too bothered by the impact of a little overeating or eating beyond your own best judgment but it's an interesting way to structure your mind it it eliminates the obsession about food mm. because if you find the difficult trigger areas and you make decisions about them beforehand and you stick to that eventually there's nothing to there's nothing to decide and like a like a prisoner that's given a life sentence we don't crave things that we're never going to have it, it goes away after a while. But your pig will tell you you're going to be tortured with cravings forever, but that's kind of like a prisoner that's been thrown behind bars and given a life sentence. They're going to fuss for a while, see if they can escape, when they realize that they can't. They're not going to. It's a waste of energy. The brain yeah. doesn't want to want to do that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the The first time I kind of got to my myself to this and like seeing all these different aspects that are wanting and craving certain things, I did the. Uh, master cleanse for 10 days where you're drinking that uh, just like liquids and it's really interesting because at no point are you hungry like there's zero you know anytime you're hungry you just take like another sip of it and the hunger goes away so I'm walking through my house at different times and because at different times or different environments my mind was used to having certain experiences it would just go on loudspeaker and be like go get me that snack I'm like I'm not hungry go get me that snack. I'm like, I'm not hungry. Get up off this couch and go get me a cup of that snack. I was like, what, what is happening right now? So um, yeah, it's really fascinating, I think, to, to be able to do this work and just kind of get a handle on where those addictions come from and and how they operate and at least give yourself the, the choice to make different um, choices in your life that that can sustain you. Yeah. hopefully for the rest yeah. of your life. So
2: A lot of this is just codified common sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: it's a lot harder to hear that common sense when you're in it. So yes. it's like, yeah, yes. you're in it. You need to kind of take that step back. Glenn, um, thank you for sharing this and thank you for sharing your journey more specifically thank you. with the world and with our listeners. And if anybody wants to connect with you, where can they do that?
2: Oh, well, you know, if you go to neverbingeagain.com and you click the big red button, you can get a copy of the book for free in a Kindle, Nook, or PDF format. You can also get a set of food plan starter templates for any dietary philosophy, whether you're keto or you know, Whole Foods plant-based like me, or um, point counters or calorie counters. We We thought through some starter rules that you might want to consider. Cool. And because this is such a weird philosophy in theory, I recorded a whole bunch of sessions, and I thought people would want to hear that. That's also free. And that way you can see, you can see how people are feeling hopeless and confused when they start and they feel empowered and hopeful when they're done with just one session. It's actually a very compassionate thing. It it makes you love yourself more. People think, some people think I'm calling them a pig or trying to get you to call yourself a pig. And it's, that's not the case. This actually increases your uh, sense of mastery over your impulses. It increases your self-esteem. And so on NeverBingeAgain.com, click the big red button. Awesome. Yeah, Thank you so much. I just
1: had this image, Glenn, of like someone getting on a session with you and for twenty minutes you're just standing at them like, You're a slopping pig. You're
2: <laughs> Yeah. I doubt it looks like that. <laughs> like no, no, people, people people are surprised. It's actually kind of a soft
0: gentle soul in the sessions yeah. I was just yeah. about to say the same thing I'm like Glenn's a, a very sensitive being who whatever yeah. that just yeah. does not seem like that would align for him at all
1: it was like that it was like that video where it's like stop it you, you probably saw that video yeah with Bob, Bob like, Newhart yeah. yeah it's like stop it stop it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like really simple the book is is awesome it's, it's a really easy read will have you thinking and asking questions and uh, yeah highly recommended Glenn as always thank you for being here Guy thank you for being here as well fun to, to be with you on these. And uh, yeah, check them out and we'll see you guys on the next podcast. Have an amazing week, everybody.
0: Thank Bye. you both for having me. Our pleasure. Much love to you and yours. Awesome, buddy.
1: Hey, hey, before you go, I just wanted to remind you to go lock in your $9 per month for life offer to join our collective. I promise if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love what we're sharing inside of the collective. Again, just head to satoriprime.com forward slash collective and you can lock that price in. These are the same tools that we share with our personal one-on-one clients. And those guys pay us tens of thousands of dollars to work with us. You can have them for just 9 dollars a month again satoriprime.com forward slash the collective and as always we'd love to hear your honest reviews of our show so if you head to itunes and leave us a review right now you could actually be next week's lucky winner and lastly if you do want to connect with guy and i head to facebook right now join our personal development without the fluff private group ask for permission there's a ton of amazing exclusive content there as well and you get to communicate and interact with Guy and I on an ongoing basis. So as always, thank you for your trust, your loyalty, and your listening. We do not take it for granted. We really, really appreciate it. We love you and we'll see you next time.